0: and then Okay. Well, hey there, everybody. What's going on? Happy 2021. We are on the other side. <laughs> oh, it's uh, great to be back. Uh, thanks for uh, hanging out from that brief hiatus. I appreciate it. I, uh, I have to say that uh, things are good because the things that I put forward uh, have more or less come to fruition. I, I am doing full-time voiceover work at this point in time. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing. I, I am a little beside myself <laughs> and uh, also busy because I got work. I'm doing a lot of audio books. Uh, I have been doing uh, some uh, voiceover work from different outlets. Um, and it's uh, it, it has become a, a kind of full time job, which is really, really great. I mean, I I again, it's, it's, it's kind of unbelievable, uh, though I can do nothing but believe it because there it is. Here we are. I, I made it. I... <laughs> so uh, my my only you know thing is just to keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. And to that end, uh, you know, one of the audiobooks that I was able to uh, narrate and produce is this fantastic piece on subject matter that I really get into when it's not about the mind and manifestation, uh, magic, uh, uh, living life from thought to word to deed. Focusing in on great spiritual aspects of ourselves. All that good stuff. Um, It's aliens. (laughs) I really enjoy uh, that subject. Uh, Most um, fringe topics I definitely get down with, but in particular, the ultra dimensional, extraterrestrial, who our friends, if that's what you want to call them, if that's what they are, out there, in there, with us, here. What's their deal, you know? And so I really get down with all that business. So I narrated a book um, uh, entitled Somewhere in the Skies, written by Ryan Sprague. And Ryan Sprague, very cool, because he chose me to narrate his book, Somewhere in the Skies. And this from his YouTube channel. Really chill dude. Ryan Sprague is a lead investigator and co-host of the CW television series Mysteries Decoded. He's the author of Somewhere in the Skies, A Human Approach to the UFO Phenomenon. Yes. He is also the creator and host of the Somewhere in the Skies podcast. Definitely check it out. All in the show notes. Speaking on the UFO topic, he's been featured on ABC News, Fox News, Science Channel, and is a regular on Travel Channel's series Mysteries at the Museum. To learn more, visit www.somewhereintheskies.com. Fantastic. Really, really well put together, and it takes a pretty unique Uh, Take Not only is it just a fantastic primer, deep yet easily digestible when it comes to just about, just about all aspects involved in the extraterrestrial, ultra, ultra terrestrial, um, uh, interdimensional situation. I want to call them friends, but then sometimes I don't because uh, I I don't know. I don't know. Would um, I don't I don't know how they view us. I'm reading a book right now called Beyond UFOs, a really wonderful compilation. I've mentioned it before uh, of people's in-depth experiences. And those experiences, over a thousand of them, um, were compiled and categorized and uh, put together to get a kind of top-down view of the situation. It seems as if overarching, even though some experiences can be interpreted as negative, for lack of a better term, um, and uh, Ryan Sprague goes into seemingly negative experiences as well. It's certainly not pleasurable feeling uh, uh, from what I narrate, though it is fascinating. And ultimately, again, this top-down view seems to be, at least uh, from uh, some of the information that I am uh, diving into, that there, there is this consciousness upgrade program, one way or the other, whether it's through hybridization or... Training or visitation and schooling and lesson work and learning uh, uh, from their implants, um, or and classes, um, flying ships. It's it's all over the place. Definitely recommend um, the. Uh, I believe the podcast is called Brotherhood of the Serpent, uh, but it's it's. Uh, I think it's these two brothers. They have guests on all the time. They've done a really nice in-depth, so far, four-part series on the information within and surrounding the uh, book Beyond UFOs, which you can find on um, Amazon and other places. Uh, It's a book put together by the uh, free—hold on. Yeah, okay, so. Just looked it up. (laughs) It's a big book. It's a huge title. It's a tome. It's thick, right? Uh, easily an eight-inch thick book. Like, it's, uh, it's a biggie. Um, but the book is uh, titled Beyond UFOs, The Science of Consciousness and Contact with Non-Human Intelligence, Volume 1. And yes, uh, the, it's Dr. Edgar Mitchell's Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial and Extraordinary Experiences, or free. Uh, experiencer.org. Consciousnessandcontact.org. Visit these places, check out this book. It's incredible. It's dry at times, uh, but at other times it is just enrapturing the experiences that are detailed. Along with this book that I narrated, which this book, uh, Beyond UFOs, is mentioned, Somewhere in the Skies, which I have a fun little treat here for us today. Uh, we'll be going through a chapter from the book that I narrated. Uh, And I'll, of course, chime in, drop my two cents as we go along. Uh, But this uh, particular chapter, um, entitled A Mother's Prayer, was pretty impactful, all about this family and their experiences. uh, And um, again, you know, high strangeness, fringe experience. I'm very, very into it because I think that there absolutely is a way that we as beings experiencing the human experience can come to understand, work with, and integrate ourselves into on a level that is way beyond the perceived experience of having these things just happen to us. I think we are far more, in fact, I know we are far more empowered than we are led to believe. And one way that we seem to come up against our mainstream modality of existing and having existence kind of thrown at us is with these fringe experiences, topics, and, uh, you know, categories, which I so enjoy exploring. So, as we move forward, you know, this, uh, this journey that you're so wonderfully taking with me, and thank you very much. And again, holy moly, I can't believe that I, am, uh, I have manifest full-time voiceover work. It's beautiful. What's next? Land. Land. And uh, I might even talk about cryptocurrency a little bit here, because that's uh, becoming a, a pretty wild situation as well. Interesting. Uh, you know, of course, everything's got risk, but uh, worth looking into because the future is definitely changing, and our old systems are uh, we are losing rapid faith in. I don't know about you, but I sure am. That's okay. My uh, faith and trust in each of you and us as individual beings, like I said, experiencing the human experience uh, is only going to grow. I have no doubt in that. We're pretty awesome. And we now and continuing on more so than ever before are going to be able to Step into our awesomeness, step into our ability to generate awe for ourselves, for our others, for the experience of reality that we get to experience for the world. So, yeah, we got the full-time voice of work. Let's just keep that going and thank you for hanging out. It look, it works. Okay? Keep on keeping on. There are the um, five-minute wealth success mental mantra uh, YouTube videos that I have. There are the little itty-bitty meditations from Joseph Murphy. I, I, I recommend enjoying them whenever you can and allowing them to plant their seeds in the garden of your mind because these seeds do grow. And while I am uh, here blossoming some sugar leaves here, just in the very beginning, it is absolutely blossoming. Oh, it's a wild ride, let me tell you. It is a wild ride, and I'm so thankful for it. I am actually speaking to you now within an isolation booth that I've been able to get for myself. That's how awesome this ride has become. I'm in my own voiceover booth. Yes. (laughs) If you can't tell, that's what that sound is. That awesome sound is me in a booth. Maybe I'll post some pictures. Anyway, uh, uh, here we go into chapter 13. We're talking about some high strangeness here, some wild times, this book. So, yeah, hey, look, if you want to take a break from uh, manifesting all the fun stuff that you're going to manifest, then you are in the process of manifesting. You are calling it. It's calling to you. To have the desire means that uh, uh, on some level you've already got it. Joseph Murphy. Neville Goddard, what you desire is also desiring you. Bing, bang, boom. Live in the end. Release yourself, but continue to explore and experience wonder by wondering about aliens. <laughs> For real, though, I do have to make this point. Um, you know, like the uh, wonderful piece of treasure I found from Reddit that I was so uh, uh, lucky, thankful, fortunate, and grateful to be able to narrate, and I do recommend you listen to it. Magic is always working. You are always manifesting. It's always happening right now. There is no real pause. Maybe taking a break from purposeful focusing. But, you know, you're not always watering a seed. Otherwise, you're going to drown it. You got to let the sun hit it. You got to let the, the, the minerals. You got to let the minerals do their magic. You got to let the earth actually get in there and give the seed what it needs. And what better way to do that than to tickle your mind in a different way by providing it with food that continuously allows you to consider these wonderful, wild, fringe ideas of possibility, uh, which will only open up into your subconscious the idea that Hey, if this is possible, maybe me living the life I want to live is possible, too, in every single way that I can't even see at the moment. Living the happiest, bestest, most purposeful, driven, uh, good kind of stress kind of life. I'm getting stuff done, and I'm not getting stuff done when I'm not getting stuff done. I'm able to chill and allow, you know, things to grow, living that kind of life. That can actually happen. And a great way to do that is by just chilling out, focusing on aliens sometimes. Okay. <laughs> but for real, it's always working. Sometimes we got to step back, recline, and let it work. After you've done all of the focusing and intending and ritualizing and manifesting and magic-making and spell casting and however you do it, do it and then let it do what it does for you by listening to me talk about aliens. Okay, here we go. Uh, and uh, so, without further ado, let us move forward into the chapter here, A Mother's Prayer, from the book Somewhere in the Skies, which I was so, so lucky to be chosen to narrate. I really enjoyed it. Uh, uh, it's doing fairly well, and uh, if you are interested in getting it, I will leave a link uh, to the audiobook. Uh, definitely recommend it. But check out Ryan Sprague, uh, you know, chill dude, author, I believe a TV producer, um, but really all around fantastic reporter and investigative journalist when it comes to this really fantastic way of presenting this information. He looks at the people and how their experiences have change them what what they take away from these experiences it's not just hard data and it's not just out there kind of you know history channel or youtube video late night crazy shit it is hey person you're a person you are a being with a perspective what is your perspective how has this experience affected you and how are you now moving through your experience because of this experience that you've had, and in some cases continue to have. Wild stuff. All right. You could tell. I enjoy it. I'm having fun. Let's get to it. Chapter 13 A Mother's Prayer Patty Blackburn had always been an avid stargazer. She lived a normal life in the Michigan countryside, surrounded by miles of forest, Lake Michigan shores only a mile or so from her front door. The secluded surroundings kept the night sky full of bright stars, an occasional view of the northern lights, and hundreds of satellites sprinkled just beyond the atmosphere. It made for some amazing sky watches in the quiet night. Working in quality control for a multinational corporation, the stress of Patty's long, rigorous days gave way to relaxing nights at home with her family there was nothing more calming than the vastness of the pitch-black heavens above her. But it was on the night of March 12, 2005, that Patty and her daughters would gaze at something far more extraordinary than any star or satellite. And it would set into motion a string of events so bizarre it would shake the family to the core. It was approximately 7.30 p.m., Patty was heading out for an evening walk to watch the stars strewn about the sky. Accompanying her were Zoe and Bonnie, her two dogs. But as she tried to lead them down to the front yard, she noticed that both dogs were acting rather unusual. Instead of following behind her, they sat on the porch pressed up against one another as if they were scared of something. This usually only happened if a coyote was in the area. Patty scanned the surrounding woods but saw nothing. She noticed Zoe staring at the northern sky. Patty's eyes shot upward. In the distance, she saw a huge beam of burning bright light. The beam followed the curvature of the earth, its edges perfectly straight and defined. It was as though someone took a curved ruler and drew two lines from the west horizon to the east horizon and filled it in with this. Brilliant white light, Patty told me. I watched it for about five minutes or so, trying to figure out if it was some sort of weather anomaly or possibly a different beginning to the northern lights. Whatever it was, it just didn't seem to match anything she'd ever seen before. Right, so okay, first off, what is this beam of light? Whoa, this is the first time I've heard of a a, a clear, bright, white light just wow across the sky, making it more clear than it was before. Nutty. And and the high strangeness is, I mean, just starts out right there. Her curiosity led her further into the yard. The light grew brighter. So did Patty's excitement. What exactly was she looking at? Perhaps another witness could explain away what was happening. Patty retrieved her cell phone from her pocket and dialed her husband who was inside. No answer. He'd most likely fallen asleep. She then called her son Jeremy, who was staying at a friend's house in the city. Jeremy told her he didn't see anything, most likely due to the amount of city light pollution. Patty went so far as to call her parents, who lived about ten miles away. They told her that they too could see nothing, the trees in their location much too tall and thick to see over or through for any type of light. All this time, she kept her eyes on the light, not wanting to move, for fear that she would miss it if it disappeared. The phone calls ended with one last attempt to call her older daughter Jennifer, who was having a sleepover with family friends. Jennifer rushed outside, looked in the direction her mother told her to, but saw nothing. Her hope for another witness provided futile. Was Patty going crazy? Was this all in her imagination? What is that? Asked a voice from behind her. It was Jessica, her youngest daughter. Her husband stood directly behind Jessica. They both stared upward just as mesmerized as Patty. Whatever it is, it's not from this world, her husband responded. Patty looked at him, stunned. It was very unlike him to say something like that. They continued staring up at the light as Jennifer and the family friends pulled up to the driveway, getting out of the car and joining. Soon, the entire group stood mesmerized. Patty recalled the following. The beam suddenly starts getting wider and wider. We then noticed the beam starts moving ever so slowly southward in our direction. It was reminiscent of a scanner's light as it slowly moves across the scanner bed Soon, the light began to get closer to the group, eventually shining directly overhead. You could now see through it. Surprisingly, you could see so much more definition and depth of everything in the sky within it than you could outside of it. Almost like you were seeing everything through a gigantic, massive, horizontal telescope that scanned the sky. Trying to rationalize it, Patty attributed this to the transparent light within the beam, illuminating the stars. I'm puzzled by this, though, as normally light, especially of this magnitude, should make it much harder to see anything, let alone thousands more stars. As many in the group retired inside to escape the chill outside, Patty and her friend stood planted, refusing to give up on finding the source of this strange anomaly. They watched as a few scattered clouds drifted in front of the beam. It suddenly disappeared. Look at all the lights! her friend shouted, pointing to the southwest. Patty turned to see a flock of small red lights heading in the direction that the beam had disappeared in. So we have that beam that looks like a scanner beam uh, 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 making all of the stars behind it super awesome and luminescent. And then this beam, after it passes over them, and they're all just like, whoa, that's pretty nuts. You have these red lights, these red lights that are like, whoa, watch out, we're going to come after you, beam. What are these red lights chasing the beam? Are they chasing the beam? Are they following the beam? Are they the ones creating the beam? We don't know. What kind of stuff is going on here? What is the purpose of the beam? What is that beam? Is that beam a kind of like reset line, reboot line on some sort of bizarre screen that is posted and pasted over our perceived experience of the sky and it doesn't look like that at all? Is it just like a cleanup crew for all the crap in the sky so we can see it a little bit better? Are we actually going through a giant scanner machine and that is exactly what it was, just that sketch, scanning the earth really quick? And there are copies of us out there somewhere. (laughs) Trippy. It's almost like they're following it, the friend shouted. What were these strange red lights? Patty wondered if they could possibly be from the National Guard station, but that was more than seven miles away and these lights were constant and didn't seem to be from any type of conventional aircraft. The two watched as the red lights faded into the clouds, and with that, the event was over. Patty went to bed that night, excited but scared. Exhaustion set in, and she finally fell asleep. The next morning brought about an anxiousness to find answers to what had happened the night prior. Patty reached out to local airports, meteorologists, and even the sheriff's office to see if they had any sort of explanation or similar reports. She found nothing. As the rest of her family seemed to move on from the event, Patty wasn't so quick to put it to rest. Little did she know things were about to get much more interesting. Almost a year had passed when Patty found herself back to her calming ritual of going into the yard and looking out at the sky. Cautious now of anything out of the ordinary, she slung a camera around her neck every time she went out. Maybe another beam of light would appear and she would be able to snap a photo or two. Dogs in tow, she headed down through the front yard. Located just across the road from her front yard were acres of a farmer's field. As she looked over the field to snap some photos of the moon, something in the distance caught her attention. What I saw was a brilliant white light in the shape of a rectangle. Its edges were rounded and smooth. At first it appeared to be stationary, but as I watched closer, I could see that it was ever so slowly moving in my direction. Okay, so it's been a year. She hasn't seen anything. And then she sees this bright white rectangle with soft rounded edges slowly moving towards her like a massive slice of cheese. Mm. The rectangular light crept forward. Just like the beam of light she had seen prior, this one seemed to be self-illuminating. Absolutely nothing around it catching any of its residual brightness. It floated closer and closer toward her. Patty's heart began to beat furiously. It was now over a wooded area across from my home and I could not figure out why it didn't crash or fall out of the sky. It seemed to float just above the snow-filled treetops. Soon, it was right over the field in front of me. The closer it got, the more formation the light began to take. That was when Patty realized this wasn't just a light, but a solid object. And it wasn't rectangular, but triangular. Three distinct points visible now. It was completely silent. Entranced by the experience, a voice inside her head knocked her out of her daze. I said to myself, I need a witness. Not wanting to lose sight of the triangle, Patty made a beeline to the front door to find Jennifer passing by inside the house. Patty slowly opened the storm door to get her daughter's attention. Jennifer, will you please come out here? What is it, Mama? Jennifer responded. Fast. Come out here. Would you? Patty ran back down into the yard, feeling the pull of curiosity inching her closer to the edge of the road. The triangle was almost directly overhead. A triangle! A triangle! Mom! Jennifer yelled. Patty turned to see her daughter standing directly behind her, staring up at the object, a look of sheer terror on her face. The triangle fixed itself directly over the family's property. Though assuming the triangle was silent at first, she could now hear a faint whooshing sound, like that of a hot air balloon when the gas lever is pulled. The low frequency remained constant. "Can you hear that low whooshing sound?" Patty asked Jennifer. Jennifer didn't answer. Patty turned to see her covering her ears, her eyes tightly closed. "It's so loud!" Jennifer finally responded. Patty looked at her confused. It was barely audible, yet her daughter could hardly bear the noise. As Patty's eyes returned to the triangle, which was now only a hundred feet or so from the ground, she began to take in every small detail. It was an equilateral, rounded, cornered triangle. It appeared to be no more than eight feet in height. No visible engine, no wings, no appendages. No seams or bolts. Nothing. Just very smooth. There was a white glow around the triangle and what appeared to be three round white lights under each corner. Yet there was no actual light fixture or source. There was another large circular light at the base of it. It's so dark, so black, Jennifer said. Patty once again looked at her, confused. It's white, she told her daughter. Do you see that huge bright light in the middle? It's a portal, Jennifer replied. How do you know what it is? Patty inquired. I just know. Jennifer shot back a quiver in her voice. Patty continued staring up. Jennifer began to back away scared. I don't like this. I don't like this, Mama. Just keep watching, Patty told her, a rush of calmness consuming her. With her daughter scared, Patty couldn't help but stand still, fixated on the triangle. I suddenly felt this overwhelming euphoria, peace, calm, and love come over me. It was unlike anything I had ever felt before. I can't explain it. It was like something else was producing these feelings in me. As Patty embraced the event, Jennifer's fear continued to escalate. The triangle began to ascend and float away from the yard. Patty's fixation broke momentarily as she registered a weight pulling on the back of her neck. It was in that moment that I remembered, Duh, I have a camera with me! She fumbled to take the lens cap off, turned the camera on, and was able to take one quick photo of the triangle above them as it continued to move away. Although the camera's battery was full, it went black after she took the single photo. She flipped the switch on the digital camera to a video setting and continued filming the triangle until it disappeared. I'm going inside. Are you coming? Jennifer asked to prompt her mother. Patty remained stationary. She told her daughter to head inside while she stayed out another 10 minutes or so. What if it returned? She had to be sure. Okay, how is this not fascinating? You have the mother uh, looking up and experiencing the most beautiful, loving, just drenched, in that kind of wholesome affection uh you know light of god kind of oh, I'm in love kind of love and uh it, it, and it's quiet and and you know like some people describe a heroine just like oh wow <laughs> not that i would know uh but that's the you know what, what comes to mind when it comes to the description of the experience that uh you know we're getting getting from her But then you have her daughter freaking her shit. They're in the same place. They're looking at the same thing, as far as we know. How is it that they're having such diametrically opposed experiences? Is it something about what is within them? Is it a communication and lack of communication, directed attention? What is going on? Is the projection of feeling being withheld? From the daughter, or is it being uh, 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 injected directly into the mother? What? What? What on earth? Talk about some high strangeness, and really, why? Why is there such a difference in experience? What would be gained from that conflict that was just boom, built, in, right there, right there.: As time passed, Patty could feel the cold, thick air piercing her skin. Disappointment crept in as she finally accepted that the event had ended. She headed into the house, exhausted. She went to bed that night, feeling completely at odds with what had happened. She knew deep down that the event was terrifying and possibly dangerous. The look on Jennifer's face alone was all the proof she needed. But for some reason, somewhere deep within herself, She wanted nothing more than to experience that sensation of euphoria that overtook her. But the next morning brought about different feelings. The next day, I became very cold to the touch, Patty told me. Ice cold. It lasted for a few weeks. On the flip side of this uncomfortable feeling, I also had energy like never before. I didn't need much sleep, and I didn't need to eat or drink much. I ended up losing almost 15 pounds in the next two weeks or so. Fearing too much of a loss of appetite would drastically affect her well-being, Patty conditioned herself to eat a little bit more each day until her eating schedule returned to normal. She hoped that life would also return some sense of normality. But after I personally spoke with her daughter Jessica, it was apparent that the strange events had only begun. Jessica prepared for bed late one night. As she turned down the narrow hallway toward her bedroom, something caught her eye. Emerging from the open door of her sister's room was a small, dark shadow. Assuming it was her sister, she moved closer. That's when she stopped cold in her tracks. I saw this little being, she told me. It was about three feet tall. It had a slightly disproportionately sized head to its body. There were no distinct facial features, except for large black eyes, two small slits for a nose, and a single line for a mouth. Over its head was a hood connected to a robe that covered its whole body. Their gazes met, the being staring at her with curious black eyes. They were shining, she told me of the beings' eyes, almost like an animal's at night when the light hits them. But this beings' eyes remained black almost as if it were producing its own light. After a moment, the being quickly moved into her parents' bedroom. Still in shock and somewhat paralyzed with fear, Jessica was finally able to react, sprinting into her bedroom and jumping into her bed. I had cocooned myself under the covers, completely at odds with what to do. I just lay in bed hoping it was all in my imagination. A voice suddenly called her name. Jessica? Say goodnight, honey. It was her mother. A flood of comfort rushed over her. She quickly took the covers down from her eyes to see Patty in the doorway. After just witnessed the robed being entering her mother's room, Jessica was relieved to find that Patty hadn't seen anything. It all must have been some sort of hallucination. Her mind playing tricks on her tired eyes. But it wasn't. As her mother entered the room to kiss her goodnight, Something followed a few steps behind, slowly and silently. It was another strange being, unrobed and much taller than the last. Jessica shot up in the bed, unable to take her eyes off it. The skin was grey, Jessica remembered. Its eyes were pitch black, just like the other. Jessica, fearing that this was all in her imagination, tried to remain calm, still questioning if this was all in her head. Her attention remained on the being, who moved throughout the room curiously taking stock of everything. It didn't know I was watching it. It was looking at my furniture, almost studying it. It moved toward my mother and tried to touch her back. Jessica gasped for air, not wanting it to come into contact with her mother. The being reacted, quickly taking cover behind Jessica's dresser as Patty turned and left the room. Jessica also took cover under her blankets. She could hear the faint sound of footsteps moving toward her. She closed her eyes tight, awaiting the touch of the being's hand. Nothing happened. I gathered the courage to peek above the covers. I looked just in time to see the being leaving the room. Jessica sat in bed, not sure what to do. Though she wanted to scream and run to her mother's room, something kept her frozen in bed. And then that was it. I fell asleep moments later. Okay, how about that? We got a a communion-style alien gray just, like, creeping up right behind the mom. What does your back feel like? What? What? It makes you wonder. How advanced are these things? Are they really that advanced? What purpose do they serve being childlike in their inquisitiveness and then all at once also extremely unnerving and uh, uh, because of the uh, um, barrier breaching that is always going on you know the intrusion there is an innate level of intrusion that is being felt that it seems as at least on our side that uh, these whatever these beings are or built from you know some people think that they're bio machines because their operators can't actually operate uh, in our environment. Our environment is just too huh, alien for them to experience. So they send these bio-machines out and these bio-machines explains why it feels so alien, so cold, uh, so inhuman when we are in direct experience with some of these greys. But then again, look, in this book, there are experiences where people chill out with greys and they're way cool, right? No, I'm not saying all of them, Uh, um, but sometimes, sometimes they're pretty chill. Anyway, whoa, in the house, pitter-pattering around, hanging out in the room, and it only gets stranger. The next morning, Jessica told her mother about what she had seen in great detail. Completely in shock and disbelief, Patty questioned her daughter, asking why she hadn't said something while it was happening. In reference to her mother's question, Jessica admitted to me that she was completely terrified. But I think the main reason I didn't say anything, despite my fear, was that I didn't feel that the beings were there to hurt us or anything. They were just curious. The experience itself was unexpected and most definitely different. So what was it that Jessica believed she encountered in the hallway and bedroom that night? I don't know what they are. Some would call them aliens, but they are simply beings to me. That's how they feel to me personally. And why exactly did Jessica believe that they had visited the house that night? I do wonder why they were here, and exactly what it was they were looking for. But other than that, I prefer not to talk about it that much. I'm the type of person that likes answers, so the fact that I don't have any makes me uncomfortable. So I just choose to move on with my life. While Jessica chose to put the dramatic experience behind her, Patty just couldn't let go of the ongoing high strangeness that followed her after the initial experiences with the beam of light and the triangular craft. And as many who have had similar experiences can attest, that interest and intrigue can often lead to borderline obsession. I'm okay with discussing other experiences that I wasn't a part of, but not my experience directly. My mom became obsessed with the experiences and would talk about them non-stop. Whatever was happening to Patty, it seemed like these strange events had hit somewhere deep inside her. Jessica had stated that she had become obsessed, so I wanted to go back to the event that had presumably started it all, which was the triangle. As I had originally heard the story from Patty's perspective, Perhaps speaking with Jennifer, who had also been present during the sighting, would shed some light on the inarguably lasting impact on all three. Jennifer recalled a very similar timeline and narrative for what she had seen in the sky that night, but her emotional state during the event was far different. I felt more uneasiness than anything. While watching it, I remember telling my mom I wanted to go back inside, but I did not want to leave her alone. I wanted it to be over with. I don't think it was evil, but it had an energy about it that I was nervous about. The talk of energy intrigued me. Even Patty noted the clear distinction between her and her daughter's reactions to the craft looming overhead. It was as if the fear Jennifer was experiencing was manipulated into an almost spiritual awakening of some sort for Patty. Jennifer added, I feel as if she was open to seeing the triangle, and because she was open to seeing it, she was open to viewing it the way they wanted her to see it. I also believe that people who are open to these experiences can be manipulated by that energy, because it then calls to all energy, not just the happy, positive kinds. That energy would follow Jennifer as she recounted several follow-up experiences that eerily connected to her younger sister's encounter. She explained to me, The most pivotal moment for me was when I would begin having dreams about beings. I had dreams of myself and this small gray being walking down the road in front of my house. I had another dream where I saw two large oval eyes looking down at me. I turned to the side on my pillow, and the body of the being seemed to be bent impossibly so that the eyes were staring directly into mine. One of the most dramatic dreams consisted of Jessica and I alone at a local playground. I noticed in the distance a tall, robed figure walking toward us. It had a hood that covered its eyes, and it carried a long stick. It finally confronted us, touched the stick against my sister's forehead, and somehow immediately put Jessica to sleep. I couldn't wake her up. This is when I was emotionally shaken out of the dream. Dreams. So, I mean, there are countless, countless descriptions of people having these strange, vivid dreams with extraterrestrials. Uh, uh, Into the Fringe, uh, written by Carla Turner, Carla with a K, trippy, trippy, uh, where, yeah, they're just, uh, there are experiences with aliens in dreams. Uh, you know, I've had some pretty trippy dreams. With uh, extraterrestrials. In fact, the description of the ET close up, just looking at you in the eyes, like that. That's I've had that. Um, I haven't seen them impossibly bend in my dreams, but it certainly feels incredibly vivid when those dreams do occur. Um, also fascinating about her dreams is the uh, uh, long staff touching. Her sister and her sister just dropping out of consciousness. That seems to be, they they have a tool, a long staff or stick or wand, some kind of implement that they're able to use. You hear about that often. Um, the Allagash abductions, uh, uh, the Watchers book one and two written by Raymond Fowler talks about that. Um, it's a scene in communion. It's, uh, you know, You get it a lot. It's all over the place. I believe it's in Carla Turner's work as well. But they have this kind of tool that they use, and it seems to induce either unconsciousness or a screen memory or a shift from pain to calm and relaxation, no pain. Dreams. Very interesting that their dreams all of a sudden became, or over time, became populated with these beings. And that goes into a whole other thing where, you know, what are dreams? What is the dreamscape? What is the land of dreams? What is that space? What is that place of dreams? And we spend about a third of our lives in that space. What goes on in that space? Mm. Dreams like these would leave Jennifer suffering many sleepless nights and trickle into many incidents of high strangeness in the home. I began seeing shadows run around our house in the hallway by my room. There were knocks on our walls and windows. All of us experienced this, not just me. Sometimes, when I'd lay my head down on the pillow to sleep at night, I would hear voices talking and whispering. It always sounded like a radio or television left on downstairs in the basement. We'd go down to look, but nothing would be on. So Jennifer, albeit in a dream state, had also encountered both these small and tall beings. Were these the same beings that Jessica claimed to have witnessed in her bedroom? Had Jessica's encounter influenced Jennifer's dreams of these curious little creatures? The fact that all three would hear strange sounds throughout the house was definitely a safety concern, and Jennifer explained how seriously her mother took this. She wanted to see and know more about what was going on so that she could keep us safe, Never once had she ever talked about UFOs or aliens before this. But once it started surrounding our family, she started researching everything she could. She was finding more people with things happening to them, and she'd go out of her way to talk to these people and see how they dealt with it. As Patty opened up further to the unexplainable experiences, her daughters chose to distance themselves. Jennifer, being the older sibling, also chose not to divulge much about her dreams to her younger sister not wanting to scare her any more than she already was. But remaining silent would only create more tension. It would eventually reach a fever pitch and all three could no longer ignore the fact that confronting the energy was the only way they'd be able to accept it. They would finally sit down with one another and have an open discussion about all of it. It made our family even stronger, Jennifer told me. We were finally able to tell each other everything. At the end, when our house felt like there was just evil around it, we became more religious. We began praying to ourselves every night and realized only positive light and energy would make us feel better about what we were experiencing. Patty elaborated on this religious approach. For me, it had a definite spiritual and religious undertone to it. I have no doubt our eyes were opened to a new level. What or who they are, I can't say with certainty but I have no doubt that we are not alone. Uh, how interesting is it that the, they, the family struggles to even talk about it? And as you'll hear as we move forward, uh, it, that there is a definite understanding on their side that the more they engage with this phenomenon, the more it opens themselves up to this phenomenon. Yet, and, you know, and it, so the, the converse seems to be the conclusion where if they were to close themselves off from the phenomenon, then the phenomenon would no longer interact with them. But here we have the beginning of the chapter when that phenomenon presented itself in the form of a bright beam of light crossing the sky. Uh, um, they didn't ask for that. Nobody asked for that. At least as far as we know, and there is that whole theory, uh, Michael Newton style, life between life where, oh, it gets pretty wild, but that we actually do sign up for just about all of this stuff before we show up to play the game and experience this human experience to, in fact, experience what we signed up to experience, calls into question free will, destiny, fate. But it also opens one up to a different kind of understanding, potentially. Eh, you know, I I tend to blend it all together and think, well, of course you've got a choice. Definitely, there there is definitely a level of choice. I can sit around and play video games all day. I can definitely do that, and have chosen to do that instead of step up every day and be the best. Mr. Douglas, I can be, at least my perception of that. But maybe, you know, beyond my limited perception is that being lazy for a couple of days is in fact just what the doctor ordered. And I uh, will absolutely subscribe to that, that there needs to be days of, of rest. There needs to be recharge. We can't just keep going and going and going. We are not the Energizer Bunny. We are far more complex than a battery. And yet, like a battery, we still need to recharge. Purposeful intention of bringing positive energy and, in their description, a religious kind of experience, a spiritual, an impactful, positive, purposeful, spiritual, religious mindset. I am going to think about good things uh, in a spiritual manner was something that they deliberately chose to do and it had a deliberate effect on their whole experience. That goes way back to everything that we had hit upon with Joseph Murphy and Neville Goddard uh, choosing your experience. Really, really, really fascinating point. That this family got fortunately or unfortunately had to hit an experience, but whoa. This made a change. This stopped the negative type of experiences that they were having. No more shadow people running around for one. And it and, and communication, I also wanted to say that. Talking about it, we've got to talk about it. Don't be afraid. Talk about it. Talk about it. Talk about it. I certainly want to talk about it all the time. I want to hear about it. I want to listen. Tell me about it. Tell me. Because this is important. This is a human experience. For better or for worse, it is widening the spectrum of what it is to be a human in this modern day. And that is, I think, one of the most important things we can address as a human species. What is it to be human? What are our capacities? What is our potential? What direction are we going in? What direction do we want to go in? And here we have. This family's saying, "Enough! We're going to choose the direction we're going, and we're going positive." Uh, the uh, there there are um, uh, in the Watchers series one and two, uh, talking about the Allagash abductions again, written by Raymond Fowler, uh, where there are a lot of religious um, under and overtones at times, uh, both induced by the aliens, um, as well as held within the mindset and upbringing of um, the experiencer within the story. Uh, It's just really, really fascinating, the uh, purposeful decision to bring about positive mindsets, couched in a spiritual religious mindset specifically, to push out the shadow, quite literally. And I think the more we purposefully do stuff like that, the more we will have positive experiences in our lives, whether they are with aliens or not. And I struggle to call them even aliens. Are they aliens? Are they interdimensional beings? Are they beings that cross the liminal space line, realm, area, place? Have they always been here? Are they just extraterrestrials? Just. Whatever they are, they seem to invade spaces within and around us that we are not. Choosing to consciously, in one way or another, take charge of dream space, religious or spiritual spheres of thinking and perceiving. And here we have an example of a family deliberately choosing to do just that, and it does have an impact. Whoa. Chills. Ooh, really quick. I also just want to say uh, that for me personally. It is uh, not couched in any one particular religion. Uh, All rivers and streams eventually lead to the sea. There are many routes to reach the tree. It doesn't matter how you get there. It just matters that you get there. And that the way you get there doesn't uh, suppress or oppress any other path to get there. Because we can all get there and we're all a little different. So I imagine our paths will all be a little different in our own little different ways. There is no need for one path to <laughs> mess up. I'm trying to think of a better word to mess up the, another path, to screw up somebody else's path, to say that their path is less legitimate or not legitimate because it's not the path that you're on. You don't know. I don't know. What I think is powerful and potent is that you choose a path, whatever that path is, and as long as that path is positively empowering for yourself, and doesn't negatively suppress or oppress another, hell yeah path, hell yeah. Okay. With the flurry of both positive and negative, alien and spiritual, I wanted to know where each stood now that the events seemed to have subsided. Jessica told me that she was heading off to college, ready to move on with her life and focus on her studies. But she left me with the following. I don't know what's happening. All I know is that it's not just me, and I don't think I'll ever know until they want me to. Don't think that you know everything there is to know in this world. It's naive to believe that out of all the innumerable stars and planets in our galaxy alone, that Earth is the only one with life on it, especially any form of intelligent life. Just accept it. As for Jennifer, she was also moving on to a new chapter of her life. I have since started a family and have mostly cut these experiences out of my life. I do not want to invite anything into my life, nor my son's, and have him too afraid to sleep at night like I was for a long time. I believe things are meant to be shown to people if and when they are ready. It's out of our control. Though the events seem to slow down, They never truly ended for Patty. Today she continues to experience the occasional bout of strange occurrences around her. A few mystery objects also continue to plague the skies over her Michigan home. But she has slowly accepted that some things just aren't meant to be explained. Our eyes, minds, and souls are being opened, Patty told me. There is just so much more out there, and no matter how hard we try... I don't believe we'll ever truly be able to comprehend the complexity and depth of it all. Her final words would mirror so many others that I've come across when explaining the impact of their experience. These events have had an extremely profound effect on me and how I look at the world. You can't ever go back to the way things were before. It's most definitely changed me. In September 2019, I was speaking at an event in Houghton Lake, Michigan. And while I was eager to present my research, I was more eager to meet yet another witness I'd interviewed for the book, and that was Patty. Interviewing witnesses remotely is one thing. Meeting them in person elevates the story and brings so much more nuance and humanity than mere words on a page. I remember Patty approaching me with one of the brightest smiles I'd ever encountered. We hugged without a moment's hesitation and immediately began to catch up on everything that had happened since the release of the 2016 book. With the passage of time, thoughts and feelings morph and change. So naturally, I was curious if the same could be said for Patty. As far as if my feelings have changed about what I and my family experienced, no. Neither have my daughters, she told me. We have never said that we knew with certainty what or who it is that we were dealing with. We experienced so much so fast that just when we thought we could catch our breath, something else would take place, and all these events appeared to run the entire supernatural spectrum. The spectrum of events had certainly affected Patty's entire family, especially her daughters. Was she able to discuss these experiences openly with her daughters many years later? We experienced so much more than what was able to be told about in your book, that our experiences would take a book of its own, Patty admitted. Just when we thought, okay, we got this, something totally different would happen, and many times, some of our events were very unnerving. We learned real quick that the more attention that was given to the phenomena, the more that would happen. Because of this, it would be hard at times for my daughters to want to talk about specific experiences and events. I knew in the back of their minds, myself included, they were wondering if talking about it might trigger something more. My daughters are adults now, and have lives of their own. But the more time that has passed, they have been much more open to discussion. We've discussed our experiences sometimes, but it really depends on their mood when it arises. The Navy UFO videos and Pentagon UFO program were popular topics of discussion at the Michigan conference where Patty and I sat and talked. And she agreed that a shift seemed to be occurring in the overall UFO conversation. How did this affect Patty? someone who'd been thrown in the middle of an unexplained hurricane of phenomena. Patty told me, The past few years of announcements and revelations have brought the topic forward, and though it's had its pros and cons, at least it's moving the topic into the mainstream, which has definitely opened up the conversation. However, Patty explained that there is so much more work to be done in that area. Who knows what tomorrow will bring? But I would like to think that an official announcement of historic significance and worldwide status would be forthcoming. For that to happen, it is going to take many at the very top level that are in the know who just finally say, enough is enough. They will need to be honest and forthcoming, with undeniable proof, and just say either it's ours, another country's, nothing man-made terrestrial from Earth, or all of those. They need to just do it. The world deserves to know the truth good or bad. So with her collective experiences behind her, and undoubtedly more to come, I wanted to know what was most important to Patty when it came to telling her story then and reflecting on it now. There is so much more in the world than we can ever even begin to remotely imagine. No one knows for certain who or what all is among us. I, as a person, have changed as a result of all that has taken place. I can never go back to the person I was before, nor can I ever look at the world the same as I did before. I'm not supposed to, none of us are, nor would I want to. One of the biggest questions I always have for witnesses and experiencers is if they felt that they were chosen to experience these events, or if it was completely random, and every individual has a unique and personal answer, or they had no answer. And while many struggled to find meaning in their experiences, Patty's conviction was palpable. Our experiences were intended for us and any witnesses that were there were for confirmation, at the same time opening their eyes to the subject. The chain of events that took place was uncanny. It was not simply coincidence, nor was I or my family just in the right place at the right time. The events were deliberate, calculated, intentional, for us, and the other witnesses. Each event was meant to play out the way it did. There are no coincidences. Synchronicity? Yes. Coincidences? No. Witnesses and experiencers often seek closure or vindication. Deep down, I was searching for that myself. Throughout every interview I'd conducted, I was recording the events of those who'd felt the way I did at one point or another. We wanted answers. And though each experience was vastly different and the subjectivity remained constant, it was comforting to find an unspoken connection between every person I'd spoken to throughout the process of my own research. And that connection was no more apparent than when I looked Patty in the eyes and thanked her for coming forward and for her unflinching vulnerability and honesty throughout it all. Patty's final words matched the sincerity she had always had and would continue to have moving forward in her own journey. My family and I understand that there will always be those that may question not only our experiences but us, as well as the phenomena itself. But we have nothing to hide, nor anything to fear. We can't deny what we have experienced. It is what it is. It happened. And all we and or anyone can do is to face it head on and tell the truth, hoping that one day, we will get the truth revealed to us all. It will help not only ourselves, but everyone else in understanding as well. Everything is connected. Yes, everything is connected. I really appreciated that. Synchronicities, yes. Synchronicities abound. Also, I remember Carla Turner's other uh, book, Masquerade of Angels. Uh, You know, really, really fascinating. And uh, fascinating that Patty said there at the end, you know, I can never go back to who I was after these experiences. What does that mean in the aggregate for all of us? What do we as a species take away from all of these experiences? Who are we in the grand scheme of things? And uh, as I stated earlier, I would say most importantly, who do we choose to be? In which direction do we choose to move for our own becoming? That I think is the most important. So whoa, hey, there it is. That's a wild chapter, it's one of my favorite. I mean, the whole book is fantastic and there's a lot more like that in there and beyond. Check it out if you want, like I said, to enjoy uh, uh, some deep thought to chew on. And again, really well put together by Ryan Sprague. Thank you very much. Lots of fun. Lots to think about. Lots to hang out with. Thanks for hanging. (laughs) Appreciate y'all. I will catch you on the next one. Woo! 2021, it's a wild time. Let us see how we can find enjoyment in this wild ride together.